Be tough. Don't be a sissy. Don't back down from a fight ever. That used to be the rule of the schoolyard back when bullying was dismissed as kids just being kids. But what does the research say about its impact on our kids today in 2019? Sending bullying to the showers for good. That's coming up in our special Back to School Jaffe podcast. You're listening to the Jaffe Podcast, brought to you weekly by Jaffe Communications. New Jersey has one of the strongest anti-school bullying laws in the nation, signed into law in 2011 by then-Governor Chris Christie. The report card is in, and the grades look promising, showing a decline in direct bullying, the kind that might remind you back of The Karate Kid and Revenge of the Nerds. But as school drama has shifted from the lunchroom to the chat room, cyberbullying has absolutely exploded, and with it, a disturbing death toll. Data suggests that as many as half of American kids have experienced electronic harassment as victim or aggressor, and what they suffer through can be unimaginable. There's kids like Mallory Grossman, who endured constant daily slurs, insults, and threats from very cruel classmates before taking her own life in June of 2017. Parents like Mallory's mother, Diane, are fighting back with help from speakers and activists like Eleni Theodoru, creator of the school anti-bullying program and a book called Noko the Night. Diane and Eleni both say that part of the problem is that too often social media companies are in a position to stop the suffering, but they don't. Their shareholders in Instagram, for example, effectively insulate themselves from accountability, hiding behind lobbying and claims of First Amendment protection. Diane and Eleni say that part of the problem is that too often social media companies are in a position to stop the suffering, but they don't. Their shareholders want the ad revenue to keep on flowing, so they have effectively insulated themselves from accountability, hiding behind lobbying and claims of First Amendment protection. We're very grateful to Eleni and Diane for this opportunity to listen to their compelling stories and to tackle an issue that every listener with a young student at home deals with daily. Eleni and Diane, welcome to the Jaffe Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank for you for having us. me. <laughs> so anyway, just to uh, just to dive in, um, you know, um, I guess we really would like to start with Eleni, who could maybe talk to us kind of about. What do you see as the global issues with bullying? Again, this episode is coming out right at the start of the school year in New Jersey, and we kind of want to see what is – it's been a few years since I've been in school (laughs) – and uh, just kind of get an idea of the lay of the land when it comes to bullying. Well, bullying today um, has become far more severe than it has in in yesteryears. Mm -hmm. Um, It's no longer just seen as a rite of passage. Children today are being picked on incessantly. Um, It's with social media at our fingertips. We cannot get away from it 24-7. You know, and I'm sure Diane can um, add to this as well. But it is definitely needed to have our children in classes, intimate classes and assemblies, where we teach them about the power of their choice and how they treat other people. Mm -hmm. And um, when I work with students, I have them understand that they're responsible Mm -hmm. for how they choose to treat others, whether it be their peers or adults or even our furry furry and feathered friends. Mm -hmm. 
Research has um, concluded that there is a direct correlation between pet abuse and domestic violence. Mm -hmm. So we need to emphasize amongst the children and educate them that um, they have the position and the power to stand up, to speak up, to do the right thing. My mantra and my slogan amongst the kids when I work with them is, yes, I am a knight. I choose to do what's right. Mm -hmm. The protagonist in my story is called Noko the Knight. Mm -hmm. And so we compare our behavior to his in the, in the tale that I've written mm -hmm. that my bullying prevention program is tied into. Let me ask, why, um, the, the way um, it appears is that bullying has become worse now than a generation ago. Is that something that you agree, or is it just stayed the same like I believe it, it seems worse, and it is worse, because we cannot get away from it. We see because it on social, social media, I feel it's got a, a big part of it. We see what's going on, I'm sorry to say, with reality TV, where drama is being sensationalized, where people are encouraged to pick on each other. Um, you know, so I think it's important that we choose to be good role models for our children at home, at school, in the community. So we, we show them the power in being pro-social, in being kind and compassionate um, and culturally uh, sensitive in, uh, to those who are different to us. Okay. There's also, yeah. just to piggyback on that, sure. um, there's also CDC data in 2012, more than 50% of households in America had smartphones. Mm -hmm. In 2012, of those smartphones in the households, all of them had some form of social media component. That is the exact year that we started to see bullying take on a new face, mm -hmm. take on a meaner face, something that where it did transition to everyday schoolyard kind of picking and teasing to where the hate elevated to a level where everyone could fall a victim. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, it, it is social media, but there is actual statistical data that supports that this is directly related to social media. The overuse of social media and the social media being introduced to children way too young. Mm -hmm. That's right. Totally and sadly agree with all that. I, I, you know, I have children. I have a son who's eight. Mm -hmm. I had a daughter uh, of 17 and another son who's 14. So last year I got the experience of a kid in elementary school, a kid in middle school, and a kid in high school where you could see three very different levels of, of bullying. And it's wow. frightening to see in the, in the early grades, you know, germinating. Absolutely. Especially amongst girls. Absolutely. And the most important part of that is, is you've got three different brain types. Mm -hmm. Each one of those children are at a different stage of brain development. Mm -hmm. um, just because they can use a smartphone or they have the social, they, they understand how to use it doesn't necessarily mean that they have the social skills to understand the gravity of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so each one of those age brackets um, has a different brain component in their development. You know, there was a lot of uh, press earlier this summer um, regarding Instagram mm -hmm. and about initiatives being taken by the CEO of Instagram to um, curtail the amount of bullying through social media. Do you think that things like that, initiatives like that are more like window dressing or do you think that, you know, they're going to really make an impact? Um it, honestly, I feel that it's so much. It's so easy for people to close down accounts and pop up new accounts. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be something that's really difficult to curtail. Mm -hmm. I think it is important that parents are very aware of what their what apps their children have on their phone, 
have access to that as well um, so they can see what kind of communication is happening um, and be aware of how these apps are being used um, amongst the younger children. Um, I do feel that children younger than 17, 16, they don't need to have access to these types of apps, you know. Um, But I do think it is going to be very difficult to try and cut that down when they can just pop up new profiles and just pretend they're someone else and come at them like trolls. What do do you see, and for some of our um, listeners who may not be familiar with social media bullying, you know, can you give us some examples of how kids are misusing social media? If you want to do that, Diane. Sure. So it's interesting that you brought that up. First of all, what Instagram is doing is just window dressing. They're, it, they're absolutely, first of all, my, my core feeling is, is that we have a moral obligation to protect our youth. So whether it's legislated or not, um, Instagram hides behind that they are um, platform providers and not content providers, which I respectfully disagree and argue because if you are manipulating that content, which we all know that they do through algorithms of likes and things that are relevant topics, then you are manipulating the content as to what is. I have in my phone and in my hands right now images of self-harm videos, images of children, um, groups that you can follow and people that you can follow so that if you're sad, you can have it. And so what happens, it creates this um, group of copycatters, right? So children are seeking to belong a group. So a child that is already suffering in school that feels like an outcast can actually go on to Snapchat, Instagram, and all these other platforms, and they can seek out others like them. Unfortunately, what they're doing is they're seeking out people who have mental illness and issues that they are not um, educated enough to be communicating with a child under age. Mm-hmm. You've also got the component, we're assuming that everybody online is telling the truth. So you've got a whole other um, avenue that a 13-year-old child who is seeking in their opinion, professional help, and they could be talking to a troll that actually turns around and says, you know what, your life is really bad, go ahead and hurt yourself. And that would be the case for um, a young girl in London who did exactly that, is she was depressed and she was seeking out and she used Instagram to seek groups. So it's not a question of if this is a possibility, but it's absolutely happening. And Instagram and all of these apps hide behind that they are just platform providers and not content. And I I would say to them, you are a billion-dollar industry. You have a moral responsibility to our youth. Forget about whether you should be legislated or not or what have you. You should, as a company, put in systems and an infrastructure to make sure that this doesn't happen. You should already have systems in place before you even open up your app to verify ages. And let's all, we all agree that children lie. And so to not have systems in place to protect children from themselves, but then to turn around and say that we're going to own the content that you put up there, I thought you said you weren't a content provider. If you're not a content provider, then what's the need in having a server to own, to own all of that? Right. It's a huge debate that needs to happen. Yeah. And, and, and more like myopically, what are, what are we seeing when we talk about bullying in, in, in the lunchrooms? And what are we seeing about in the schools? Like, you know, is, is it still driven by social media or is there other avenues that kids are going to to bully? Well, I think that it's absolutely been driven by social media because children are able to have um, their phones. Mm-hmm. Remember this, today's youth, if you didn't record it, it didn't happen. Remember, you'd go fishing, and then the fish was this big, and you'd hold up your arms, and really it was this big. We lived in a world where storytelling was a way that our peers experienced our life with us. That's not the case for today's youth. 
today's youth experience each other's life through video. So they are open and armed and ready to um, film their peers at any given moment. They are looking for the next going viral. That is a positive scenario in their life. So if you have a kid that slips and falls on some water in the lunchroom, 10 years ago, it would be, oh, my God, he slipped and fell, and only the people that saw it talked about it. Today, if a child slips and falls in a lunchroom and drops their tray everywhere, you've got an entire lunchroom getting every possible angle that they're recording it at every given moment. So that victim that fell is re-victimized over and over and over again. You also have softwares that can edit, add music, add hateful messages to the fall. So again, you've got the apps that allow the children to raise the bar of hate and manipulate the content even further. So it is a dangerous, so lunchroom bullying of slipping and falling is not what it was 10 years ago, and so we can't treat it like it was 10 years ago. That's right. Hey, um, I don't want my kids to go back to school next week. Um, I know. um, So, Diane, um, talk to us a little bit about Mallory's Law. I know know there's a a little bit of a story behind it, and if you could, you know, give us an idea. Yeah, so Mallory's Law, we basically took our experience. Mallory was bullied for more than basically all of sixth grade. And Mallory was uh, your daughter, right, Mallory? Mallory, yep, Mallory Grossman uh, is my 12-year-old daughter, um, and she ended her own life after months of bullying at school. Um, and it pretty much started at the beginning of the school year and all the way up until June. Um, she died on June 14, 2017. Um, so Mallory's Law, we basically worked with Senator Panaccio and Senator Dignan to um, fill in some of the gaps um, with what's missing with the current New Jersey HIV um, statute. There's a lot of people that, and even if you Google or look up, people will say how strong New Jersey's law is when the reality is is it's 87 pages of suggestion of what schools should do. There's not a lot of requirements, and if there is requirements, there's really no reporting agency other than State Department of Education. So what Mallory's Law has done, many parents don't even know that every county has a superintendent above the town superintendent. Mm -hmm. So there is an immediate supervisor local to your community in your county that you could report to. Well, none of the HIV, and we actually are working with Kane in your corner um, about the underreporting of HIVs, which stands for harassment, intimidation, and bullying, Um, the underreporting of this data. So we feel like that one of the reasons why the reporting is under, why the reporting is not sent to the State Department is there is a um, component missing, which is the county superintendent. Nobody can tell me what their job is, and so we decided to give the county superintendent a job, which is oversee your district, mm-hmm. um, oversee what's going on. So before it makes its way to the State Department of Education in Trenton, it should go local. The next thing it does is um, we parents have a tendency to pick up the phone, call, and vent. Well, if you call your school system and vent about what's going on, Parents will have the habit of saying, well, I really don't want to get anybody in trouble, but, and then they, un- well, then that puts schools in a very um, peculiar situation. Are you reporting it or are you not? Are you wanting us just to address the behavior? Listen, at the end of the day, every parent just wants the behavior to stop and change. Mm-hmm. They're not looking to get anybody in trouble. They're not looking to put stuff in people's permanent folders. So what we hope to try to do is create either a ticket system, a ticket system, whether it's online or paper trail. Um, And by the way, there are many districts already using this. We we didn't reinvent the wheel. It's already proven and already has um, shown to be an effective way. 
parents have to log on, they put in their complaint, and it immediately gets time-stamped. Everybody knows that in New Jersey, the school system has 10 days. Well, 10 days from what? 10 days from when I look at the post-it on my computer or 10 days from when you call? Wait, 10 days to investigate, you mean 10 days? They have 10 days to investigate, right. Well, they can choose when that 10 days starts. If there's a ticket system and the parent has to use an online portal to go in and put their complaint in writing, it forces the school to comply with the already existing HIV component of, of that. And then, of course, they have to report back to the parents. There are stories where certain parents have not heard from their investigation for longer than a year. I know parents that have it's taken up to four months. That is, for a child that doesn't want to go to school and has stomach problems, anxiety, and depression, four months is a lifetime yes, to them. Yes, and it's unreasonable, and it's breaking the current law. So those are some of just to touch on Mallory's law. We haven't quite passed New Jersey legislature yet. We've only passed the Senate, the Education Committee, and the Senate. We are waiting for the Assembly to um, get back in session, and then hopefully we will make it uh, Mallory's law. The last portion of Mallory's law um, puts fines in place. If you choose as a parent to give your child a $1,000 cell phone and you choose not to parent that child, then yes, after repeat behavior, you could be held financially accountable for um, what your child is doing online, in the um, just like a parking ticket. You park in the wrong place, you're going to get a fine. Well, that's what Mallory's law does, is it imposes fines um, to parents who refuse to comply. Thank you for that. So um, probably a question, Eleni, this might be a question best for you, is I don't know about you, but I didn't have a cell phone when I was in school. <laughs> Neither did I. I think I was in grade 12 when, yeah. when my parents let me borrow it. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So I guess my question is, is why can't there just be a law that says no cell phones in schools? Honestly, I think it would um, be a great solution if parents would, all parents would agree to that. But I know of many parents that would kick up a lot of dust and uh, try and justify why their um, first grader might need a cell phone. I mean, when well, I was in school, I used the payphone if I needed to call home from school or um, had well, the nurse I mean, you call. Need, you need a pass to go to the nurse. Why can't you get a pass to get to your cell phone? I, I agree. There are school districts in New Jersey that have certain policies um, that do have that. There's like a little gray bag that when you come into school, you put your cell phone on, you keep that little bag with you all day long, but it automatically locks so that you mm-hmm. can't get it. And there is data starting to support that children are becoming more social at school, that their grades have gone up and things of that. So you're starting to see schools put the foot down because they have they, they have they are faced with the idea that they have to do something. But your argument is going to come from the parents Um, who have PTSD or anticipate PTSD from active shooters. Um, Anytime I talk Uh, about parents needing to take away the child's phone or they don't need it at school, always their argument is, if there's a mass shooter, I need to be able to get to my kid. Um, And so we are going to have a very difficult time um, telling our parents that their children can't have cell phones at school. Mm -hmm. We both both sides of it have a valid argument, right. but I think the argument is so much stronger. Like you said, if you need to get to your parent or your parent needs to get to you, I always tell parents, 911 only needs one call that there's an active shooter. They don't need 17. Mm-hmm. They need one call there's an active shooter, and the children should not be. But if you notice, even back to the Parkland shooting, there were kids actively videotaping their experience um, calling their parents, videotaping, and all. So parents are not going to, they're going to fight that they need to have access to their children throughout maybe, the day. You know, maybe, I know that there's, for, for young kids, they just basically get flip phones. 
you know, if it's so absolutely necessary, why not? You know, if you have a kid in school, you can get a flip phone. Flip phones are probably free. Or right, maybe... but nothing says bully me, pick on me. I'm the poor kid at school like a flip mm-hmm. phone. Uh, like you have to think about yeah, it from right. the kid's perspective, right? Yeah, you're 100 percent right. Everybody, Put a jitterbug in their hand, but if, if you don't have the latest electronic device, then you're the loser kid at school. So yeah. all you've done is created another avenue for them to pick on them. Yeah, but so, I, yeah, I've seen though in school systems where the kids all have uniforms and they all have mm-hmm. uniforms, so that you know somebody who's got the most fancy shirt or pants or whatever, you know, like why can't it be the same with flip phones? Everybody, if you if you need to have a kid in a school. He or she gets a flip phone, and that's it. Correct. You get a flip phone, mm-hmm. or you get nothing. You know, why, why not I, that? Keep it uniform. completely agree mm-hmm. with you. I think that it's uh, – you know what? I feel like that we've gone so far down the rabbit hole, meaning we're not going to unring this bell. So now it's time to put infrastructures and systems in place to combat what's already there. You know, the floodgates are already open. Mm-hmm. This happened in 2012. We're so many years into it. We're seven or eight years into this mess. It is not going to get better. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's going to get worse. Um, as children are younger and younger and younger being introduced to social media platform. Look at YouTube kids, right? Mm-hmm. Look at the Paul brothers. The Paul brothers are a prime example as what is wrong with our society, that this is not just a legislative problem, that this is a moral problem. Um, you've got the Paul brothers who went to a place called Suicide Forest in Japan. They know, based on their demographics, um, that the average listener of their video podcast is average 8 to 10 years old. That is their sweet spot. So you're going to a place in Japan called Suicide Forest, and you're shocked when you found a body hanging in the tree. And the video, by the way, wasn't taken down from YouTube until more than a million of their prime viewers saw that. And by the way, when they saw the body, they didn't stop recording. They kept recording. This is a moral problem. Now, thank God, YouTube not only took it down, and they were fired from their... But it's too late. It's already been seen. Mm-hmm. It's already – you can't unring that. So I, I keep pushing back that the floodgates are there. YouTube is there. These, these platforms, they're not going anywhere. It's now time for us as parents to start parenting our children. By the way, Snapchat wouldn't be worth a billion dollars if we didn't have so many people using it. Yeah. So and, that's and, simple. And, and you hit on something there that unfortunately big business is some, has infiltrated all of this. And unfortunately, it seems like this is being run more for – you know, making a dollar as opposed to what's best for our kids. Elaine, talk a little bit about what you're doing. Um, and you're doing a lot. <laughs> so, um, I've, well, you, know, I, you know, I have to tell you, Diane did a great job laying out the problem. Absolutely. And Thank you're you, here Diane. for the solution, right? Yes. Well, to be part <laughs> of the solution, and that's what I promote to parents, uh, children, and school districts, is to choose to be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. So I'd written my first tale, uh, Noka the Night. Um, Your first book, Noka my the first Night. Book. When did that come out? That came out in June of 2015. Okay. And I've since pu- published and released my second tale that ties into the series, uh, last October, the launch was held at the uh, South African Consulate in New York City. But coming back to the actual story, um, it was born out of a play therapy assignment that I was given about 15 years ago mm-hmm. in South Africa as part of my psychology program. Mm-hmm. Um, scribbled it on, pa- on paper, handed it in, didn't think again about it mm-hmm. until my mom was actually the one who re- reminded me of that and pushed me to get mm-hmm. it published. So, and what prompted you to get into this issue of bullying? 
Um, that wasn't part of the plan, to be honest. Okay. I um, had written the story, had read it at libraries and at various organisations that had welcomed me, just as a local author. Mm-hmm. And eventually, mm-hmm. I felt, you know, I have my background in psychology. I might as well put it to use, to good yeah. use. Mm-hmm. And so I started putting activities together. And before I knew it, I ended up with a multi-sensory program that is unique, that is being well embraced by elementary schools. So I do work with pre-K through grade five students in small intimate groups and classes of 25 um, where not only do I read them the story, it's an interactive experience for them, um, but we then get into the nitty-gritty of bullying, Mm -hmm. what it is and the impact it has not only on the victim but on the community at large. And I actually have them feel the pain that they had felt um, at a time when they were picked on and then I had them feel... Contrast that with a time when people were respectful and chose to be kind towards them. I use real porcupine quills. My protagonist is a real is a porcupine, so uh, I didn't pluck any porcupines, but uh, I have a few porcupine quills that I I have the students feel to feel how sharp it is when we choose to be mean to each other with our words, our actions, isolation, cyberbullying, um, all of that, and I contrast that then with the uh, guinea fowl feather. Um, that I have in my in my toolbox um, for them to then understand that that's what it feels like when we get tickled with a feather. That's what it feels like when we choose to be kind to each other and respectful and forgiving. Um, the children, they truly grasp that message of kindness and forgiveness. And um, I have an assignment that I have the grades two through five complete for me where they write me a letter to have me understand what they had learnt with me and why it's important. I then present that back to the principal and to the boards um, that I work with, the boards of education. So that's wonderful. I mean, Thank you. The, the thing is this, is that, you know, kids here all throughout school don't drink. Alcohol is bad. Mm-hmm. Don't take drugs. Mm-hmm. And they all know it's bad and they still do it. Your wonderful program here is about bullying, about, you know, why it's bad, why it's bad. But is this program directly linking to less bullying? I have been, um, uh, have had replies back from principals and from the boards. Mm-hmm. They've been thrilled with the results because in the letters they see how the children are holding themselves accountable mm-hmm. um, for their choice in behavior. Mm-hmm. We see that they are making smarter choices in how they choose to treat others. Um, They're also choosing to stand up more. Mm -hmm. Um, It is very, very scary, um, even as an adult, that, you know, if we're being bullied, it's difficult to stand up for ourselves and to express to HR that we're being bullied in some form. So you can imagine for a young child how scary that might be. Mm -hmm. So there are several solutions that I I offer the students as well as to how they can report what they see, because it is important to say something if you see something, Mm -hmm. Um, to be brave like Noka was brave in the story, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it is vital that our children see that message of choosing to be kind on a consistent basis, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, we have posters for the classrooms. Each student gets a bookmark with our mantra on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I am a knight. I choose to do what's right. I also then have them um, repeat after me and, and to understand that the quills represent pain and the feather represents pleasure. Pain, uh, quills or feather, pain or pleasure, what do you choose? Mm-hmm. And then I have them um, promise me that they're going to make an effort to sit with new students in the new school year. If you see somebody's left out, include mm-hmm. them. What, what is, is the recipe for a great friendship? And then, right. yeah, so the students, yes. I love that I... You know, the, the stories of like, you know, uh, NFL players that are now going into uh, cafeteria. Yes, and, and yes. I, I think Powerful. that the, um, 
the lunchroom is the, the is may, maybe the middle school lunchroom may, may be the worst place on earth. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't think of any place I'd rather, right. you know. I, Next to a landfill. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, right? Yeah. Right? I mean, you know, really and truly, like the, the kids' lunchroom. What I would say, you asked her if this was working, and what I would, would compliment her on doing is it takes all of us, right? Absolutely. We can't all go to the store and buy a bag of flour and come home and have a cake. Mm-hmm. What she is doing is... Um, it's part of the recipe for success. You've got to have so many ingredients to combat a problem that is so much bigger than us. Yes. And one of the biggest problems that we have is that, by the way, we didn't experience this, so it's hard for us to fix the problem that we really don't understand the gravity of it. Many of these children are born with an iPhone in their hand. Yes. Mm-hmm. They've been using an iPad since they were two and a half. Mm-hmm. And so what we have to do is we have to take stories. And so the stories that you're talking about, like the porcupines and the feathers and all of that, that might help three or four kids in the classroom. And then, of course, Mallory's Army presentation and teaching and, and, and talking about volunteerism might help the other. Absolutely. All of these things are necessary. We all know that we are not going to put an end to bullying, mm-hmm. but if the pendulum is willing to swing in the other direction mm-hmm. and we are to create a school system with a climate where the 80% of the population are upstanders. And by the way, we have to teach what that means. Right. We can't just say, be an upstander. We literally have to show them actionable things that yes. show them how to be an upstander. We created the word, now we have to make it a verb to them. And Absolutely. the only way that you show children how to be an upstander is through living proof and examples of. If you take away a bully's audience, then you've taken away a good portion of their power. And so that's really what this is about, is it takes everything that she's doing, everything that I'm doing, parents taking a, a, a part, schools taking a part, the community taking and doing their part, police and law enforcement, resource officers should be more than there to just make sure the school isn't shot up. And they need to be there to create relationships with the children because hurt people hurt. Absolutely. So they need to be there and be a part of the disciplinary action when children are abusing verbally or physically other children so that they learn early on that these acts are punishable, that there is accountability for that, and let it come from, again, the law enforcement perspective. It shouldn't just always be the principal's way, yes, way, or no, because we all know that they're human and they could be making vital mistakes in all of this as well. So it's not going to be one solution. It's going to be, it takes all of us doing our part to make sure that we have a cake. And by the way, at the end of the day, we could have every ingredient correct and the cake still tastes bad. We've got to go back to the drawing board because a great baker will tell you that it's an evolution of getting just the right ingredients at just the right temperature at just the right time. And so it's not one thing and done. Let me, let me ask you about one thing and done. What about if we took social media out of the mix? Say there was no social media in schools. How much uh, would there be a decrease in bullying, do you think, Diane? Um, I, I would say what the CDC says. The CDC says that um, 50%. So I definitely think, but I I think that that's an unrealistic expectation. It's not going anywhere. So while I would love to say, what if we took all the money in the world and pulled it together and we divided everybody equally? At the end of the day, the rich would be rich and the poor would be poor again. I mean, it's not a realistic solution. So for me to say that social media, I believe that social media is really the, the... the problem because it's allowed kids to be meaner than they would face to face. Behind the screen, you can say some really hateful things. Adults do yeah. it, parents do it, kids do it. So behind the screen, we're a real strong Billy badass. 
but on face to face with somebody we have a tendency to be more of a filter. So I think what social media has done is it's allowed kids to raise the bar. Unfortunately, it's a bell that's rung that we cannot unring. And social media is not going anywhere. If anything, every single day you see more and more apps coming coming out teaching children how to solicit and have conversations with strangers. The, the real white van that we should all be worried about is the one that's in our children's hands. Yes. And for, we're talking about bullying, but remember there are so many other issues. You've got human trafficking, you've got sexual abuse, you've got sexting. Like this is not just a the social media is a huge problem in our children's lives and it's not just around bullying. It is a bigger problem yep. that we're willing to acknowledge. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I, I know I'm just like going through my mind, well, you know, like, you know, stories of like, you know, my daughter in high school, like some boy starts texting her and by the third text, he's like, Hey, send me a pic. And that, that was like a thing. Right. You know, send me nudes. Yeah. Send me yeah. nudes. Send me nudes. And, uh, it's just like, and by the way, the girls are doing it. I know. I don't doing... understand it. I don't understand. Right. No why would you do that? You know why? Okay. You know why? Because she wants him to like her mm-hmm. and Acceptance. she doesn't, she trusts him. We have a, why would unique... she do that? Why would she any girl unique... do that? You know why? Cause you've raised your right to trust people. But any girl, I mean, it's just, right. it, it's amazing. Any girl. I mean, we have raised our daughters and sons to trust people. Right. There was an. I, I used to work in early childhood and um, early um, early education, and we had a police officer come in and teach the parents an example. And they had all of the four and five year olds that were going off to kindergarten that were going to be at bus stops and whatever. And he gave them all a piece of paper and he had them draw a picture of a stranger. Right. The kids sat down with their color crayons and they drew monsters and they drew people with two, you know, they drew monsters with greens and fire coming out of their mouth and they drew this and he flashed it in front of the parents and he said, the definition, because we've scared our children that strangers are bad. We haven't taught them that strangers look just like mom and dads. It's the same thing with our children. They like to believe that the stranger on the other line or that the boy at school who said, send me nudes, they have been taught to believe that he's genuine, that he's not going to show anybody. Not to mention mm-hmm. that young teenage is. girls are hormonal. So right. then of course they want to be desired. We can't take away the chemical imbalance that's going on inside of their brain and body. They're going through body changes and hormonal changes. So they want to be, you know, sexually involved. They want to do those things. There's absolutely, that's normal for them. It is normal for them to be curious about sex. It is normal for them to be curious about. And so, and I know as a father, it's very difficult when I start talking like this. My husband goes, shut up, shut up, shut up, stop talking. (laughs) But it's true. It's so, so true. This is like the Dr. Ruth side of me. But it's true. I feel like for for parents, it's really a race against time, meaning that can you get your kid out of the public schools or whatever schools and into college and, Lord willing, into life, before but there's wait any a minute, major damage. Have a whole other thing because uh, definition of bullying, that's yeah. hazing. We could have a whole yeah. other podcast around that because if you look at the definition of bullying and it particularly relational bullying, yeah. that's really just hazing. And for our teenagers that hopefully will be listening to this that are going off to college, um, and I will share it on our uh, social media platform, but keep in mind the definition of hazing, that's a felony. Mm-hmm. You've got teenagers that are going out there, which up until the age of 17, they were allowed to post and do whatever they want to online. And then you see them go off to college. They uh, participate in a kid's um, hazing event to join a fraternity or a sorority. And the next thing you know, they're facing manslaughter charges. Yeah. 
So we think we we can protect them in middle school, but we've got a whole bigger problem coming out when they get to college. And there are so many studies around just that component alone. Mm. Uh, you know, I wish that on this podcast we could, you know, spend 30 minutes and then come up with global solutions that we can then advocate for. I I don't see them. Melanie, do you see solutions? I think we just need to, you know, band together, do our absolute best to educate on a consistent basis, reach out to parents, bring in leaders of the community, and do what we absolutely can to help our, our children understand the consequences of the choices that they make in, yeah. in terms of how they treat others, what they choose to send over social media, um, and that they, you know, and consequences need to be in place. So, um, yeah, I think it's a very hairy time for parents to be raising their children. What about you, Diane? Any, you know, ma- magic solutions? You know, I know you're doing an amazing job with, with Mallory's Law. Um, but what what else can the people listening to this podcast, what else can they do? Um, I think we're, like what she said, we're all doing it together. A chair has four legs, right? Mm-hmm. You need your community, you need your parents, you need the kids, and um, you need the school system. We've all got to be on the same page. Right. I think it's really important to recognize that hurt people hurt. And instead of punishing the children who are bullies, I think that we should be digging deep and figuring out what's going on in the home. Yep. Uh, um, I think it should be more about instead of ready to throw the book or put something in their permanent folder, we should really have a system in place to deal with what's going on to understand why a child is doing that. And like you said, have measurable. Um, when children can p- predict the consequences of their behavior, then that, to me that's step one. Mm-hmm. So it, to me, that's the, the thing that we need to do is, is start teaching children that there are consequences for their behavior. Mom and daddy are not going to bail you out of this. Mm-hmm. You, you behaved poorly. We understand why you behaved poorly. And by the way, we're not going to throw the book at you, but you need to, you know, if that means scraping bubble gum off the bottom of a chair on a Saturday morning, um, it used to work, uh, mm-hmm. and maybe we need to bring that back. Um, I think that children need to be responsible for the community. We all want to live in great neighborhoods. We right. all want our children to go to great schools. We all want to live in downtowns. Well, it requires that we do our part. And so volunteerism has been proven to inspire children to be the good in the world. And that's really what the foundation of Mallory's Army, um, what we're all about, is really inspiring kids to be humanitarians and to buy into something that is so much greater than themselves. And I just like to believe that everyday conversations like this is going to put us in that place. Okay, well, well, well thank you. And, and, you know, we are going to be following very closely Mallory's Law as it moves mm-hmm. through the uh, state legislature. And obviously from our end, we're going to be promoting it and keeping people updated that it exists and the importance of it. Um, and also, um, so th- thank you, Diane. And also, Lainey, thank you for your book. And thank you for thank the... Thank I got a... I did get a quail feather here. <laughs> thank you. I did get a gift. My pleasure. And um, I do also want a thank you for um, coming to us and, uh, with this and also um, bringing us Diane, who, between the two of you, I think you both are doing very powerful work. And thank, thank you, you so much. And thank you guys for that. Well, thank you for having me. And again, it really comes back to um, Eleni for having me because she's the one oh. that really <laughs> reached out and said, would you participate in this sure. conversation? So sure. it thank takes you, people like that. Right. Um, we're all expected to use our life, and I'm just grateful yeah. for the people that are in mine. And Likewise. also, just the last, before we sign off, just any important websites that you like for parents, any good resources that people can read? Besides your book? Besides <laughs> yeah. this great yeah. book, anything else? Yeah, besides our websites, right? Um, Absolutely. I would say the State Department of Education mm-hmm. really does do a decent job of laying out what's expected. I think parents need to 
know here in New Jersey, they need to know what the 87-page HIV statute stands for. The other biggest advice that I would ever give to any parent out there is always put it in writing. If you are having a problem with your school, if you yeah. are frustrated, do not pick up the phone call and vent email and always cc somebody in there know who your chain of command is and and put it in writing because once something it is writing there is no way that the school can deny it happened or didn't happen so um if you're going into the school year and you're you're having some anxiety about your children's experience get yourself a journal and document 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 because there might come a time that you need it Mm -hmm. um and that's what's allowed us to hold our school system responsible is that everything that happened to mallory i was able to document and have a paper trail and that's so very important diane do you have a website for mallory's army we do yeah so most people follow us on facebook which is mallory's army on our movie trailer we have a documentary that's coming out which is mallory's army charitable foundation which is on youtube and then of course mallory's army.org okay is our website thank you and eleni what about you how can people get in touch with you uh well my my uh website is uh, nocothenight.com uh that's where you can learn more about me and the uh, mischief i get up to with the porcupine (laughs) um and the night with a k k K and i yeah that's right and um yeah all my information is there i go where i'm welcomed and again um you know we work with pre-k through grade five students Excellent. Okay. Eleni, Diane, thank you both for being on the Jaffe Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Make it a great day. The Jaffe Podcast is a production of Jaffe Communications, which is solely responsible for its content. Episodes may not be reproduced or rebroadcast without permission. Our executive producer is Jonathan Jaffe. Our editor and production manager is Josh Frank, and our theme song was composed by David Siste. For more episodes, visit jaffecom.com or find us on Facebook at Jaffe Communications. Thanks for listening. Join us next week.